What kind of conservative is Boris Johnson? Hello and welcome. I'm Mark Sidwell, and this is Counterculture, the cultural discussion show that likes to read between the party lines. Today we're discussing the future of conservatism after Boris Johnson's huge victory in the general election. The Tories could be in power for another 10 years, but what kind of conservatism will steer the ship of state? Will the Thatcherites in cabinet take back control? Or will Boris Johnson find himself needing to pander to his new voters in the North, taken from the Labour Party and its collapsing red wall? Is there even such a thing as Johnsonism? Here to discuss all this with me today are Douglas Churnside, documentary maker and prospective parliamentary candidate for the Brexit Party in the run-up to the recent election, Mark Wallace, the chief executive of Conservative Home, Jamie White, the editor of Smith magazine and former research director of the Institute of Economic Affairs, and Rafe Hadel-Mankou of the New Culture Forum, historian and broadcaster. Thank you all for joining me. Mark, um, Conservative Home is, is an important forum for the conservative grassroots. What are the grassroots looking for from Boris Johnson and are they going to get it? Well, to start with, they've already got the thing that they were looking for first and foremost, which is to actually turn around the prospects of the Conservative Party electorally. Mm -hmm. When you said earlier, what kind of Conservative is Boris Johnson? The first question they were asking when it came to the leadership election is, is he a winning Conservative? Mm -hmm. They'd had that bitter experience under Theresa May. Brexit was stuck. Everything else was backlogged behind it. Uh, the Labour Party, obviously, how they got in would be a dramatically different kind of uh, left government than one we've ever had in this country before. Mm. So the first thing they're interested in is the fact is that he was a winning con uh, Conservative. Can he continue that? And what's he actually going to do with the power now he's got it? So he's, they, they wanted a, a big task. He's fulfilled that task, but it leaves behind it an awful lot of unanswered questions. Well, absolutely. And I mean, Douglas, obviously one of those is going to be Brexit. The Brexit party caused a lot of trouble. UKIP has in the past as well. Europe has been a dividing factor for the Conservatives for, for decades. Is, is that healed now? I mean, or is this going to come back if, as soon as there are problems in negotiations over the next year? Could you see the Brexit Party still uh, causing difficulties? Uh, the Brexit Party at the very top of the party will hang around. Uh, but I don't think the Brexit Party is going to ever run again in another election. Uh, UKIP and the Brexit Party did very well in European elections mm -hmm. under proportional representation. There's no similar sort of uh, election that they could probably do well or even get a single seat in now in the future. I don't think in the Conservative Party, I used to be a Conservative, I was a member of the Conservative Party, I was once um, on their candidates list. I don't think the issue of Europe is healed uh, but I think it will heal and I think it will be pushed uh, to one side. The big thing that I think Boris did, apart from winning the election with an 80-seat majority, was that he chucked out of the party people who had been cabinet ministers like Rory Stewart mm. and David Gock. And that seems to have put the fear of God into everyone who's sitting behind him, that he is great fun for the public. He's like the Michael McIntyre of politics. He is a winner. He's a feel-good politician. The whole country will feel good as long as he's the Prime Minister, I think, although he can also do serious stuff. Uh, but deep down, he's as ruthless as anyone else that has got into Number 10 Downing Street. Mm. But, but ruthless in, in order to do what? I mean, Jamie, 
do you think the sort of Thatcherite free market side of the Conservatives, which has been in abeyance for a long time, under certainly under Theresa May, has a chance of coming back under Boris Johnson? Does he have the ruthlessness to push that through? Or is he more interested in just the power and, and the staying on and rather than pushing that particular agenda? Well, I, I'm not sure about Boris Johnson himself, what Johnsonism would be. It sounds like something schoolboys are told mm -hmm. not to do. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't say, I've never really been very clear with Boris what his, whether he was a Thatcherite or not, if we want to use that term broadly, where he stands up. I'm sure he wants power, and I think he's pretty savvy about what he needs to do now in order to gain or keep that. So I think it's going to be very pragmatic in, in that sense of the word. Um, and the reason I don't, I suspect he won't pursue a Thatcherite agenda is that there's really no appetite for it within the Conservative Party, as far as I can tell, and probably even less appetite for it uh, in the electorate. Uh, it seems to me that Thatcher never really did win the ideological battle. She got a few privatizations through um, she made the country more open in various ways and more entrepreneurial. But if you asked people, and I'm even here talking about members of the Tory party, you know, do they believe, for example, that those with the broadest shoulders should carry the heaviest burden, as David Cameron put it? Hmm. They'd say yes. You know, they've kind of signed up to the social justice agenda. Um, they are of the view that free markets are chaotic and harmful to society. Um, you know, they're kind of bought into a generally centre-left kind of worldview. They want the Conservative Party to administer this regime, but they don't really want it, it messed with. I mean, do you think that's true, Mark? Is that your impression of the Conservatives that, that you see? I think there's there's a louder voice, perhaps, than, than, than that would present for certainly some of these things. I mean, it's worth teasing out a little bit what we mean by Thatcherite, because you've got the, the irony now that actually there's a the modern generation of people who might identify with the kind of Thatcherite tradition who've drawn out Thatcher's economic logic into social positions that, that actually she herself might not have advocated at the time. At the same time, you have some people who would identify with her um, kind of more small-c conservative views and be a bit more uncomfortable about some, some of the economics. The, the big sticking point that I can see is actually beyond either of the group's you mentioned, which is in the Parliamentary Conservative Party. If you look at the um, chart of their Conservative MPs' attitudes under austerity, for example, you could see the weariness set in several years ago now about the, the temptation actually really do we have to keep talking about the fact that maybe we need to balance the books? Do we have to keep pursuing the political uh, discomfort which is presented by having to keep on trying to trying to do so and the temptation started to grow for Conservative MPs to talk up the things they wanted to splash some cash on thank you very much be it defence or international aid or the NHS or various various things that area in particular I just I don't see a huge amount of I agree with you I don't see a huge amount of appetite on the economic and certainly on fiscal terms for uh, that, that that position that we heard say 10 years ago about actually we should balance the books mm -hmm. as a nation. I mean, Rafe, do you think there's there's a sort of a division now within the party between the sort of the home counties Tories of the sort of more sort of tradition and and the, and the new ones that they've taken from the north? Is that is that going to sort of have to shift policy in order to? There is absolutely. The free marketeers are in for a rude awakening if they think that there's going to be a Thatcherite revolution taking place. 
you know, Churchill once said that it's very hard for a nation to look up to somebody who always has his ear to the ground. But uh, certainly Boris Johnson's success, or Dominic Cummings' success, is that he has had his ear to the ground. And basically what we've had now is a realignment election. People don't actually understand the significance. Brexit was really the catalyst that has brought in advance something that was going to happen anyway. Every 40 years or so we have this happening, 1885 to 93, he had it in the 20s when Labour took over from the Liberal Party, he had it in 79 when Thatcherism came in and Thatcherism was an economic revolution. And now the economic argument is finished because it's culture and values that unite people on the right now. And so the economic arguments are no longer the arguments. People realise that the Tory party is going to lean to the left on economic issues whilst maintaining a social conservative perspective because on cultural values and on traditional values, a Tory voter in Kensington and Chelsea has a lot more in common with a former Labour voting person in, 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 in Sedgefield or Bolsover than that Labour Party person has with someone in Islington. And the coalition of the Tory party is now going to be based upon the cultural values of tradition, of nation and of family. And that's why you, you see that with Flybe. Flybe is a classic example of an intervention by the government which you would never have seen before. And it's, you know, it, it shows the way things are going to be in the future. Oh, I feel you're right on the economics. but I don't, And I agree with your analysis. I think that that's right. Um, uh, my magazine published, Steve Davies, has been running this argument for years now. And so I, I agree with the analysis. However, there's one... This is a straight question. If you say the Conservative Party and the right are united now around an, uh, an identity or a kind of cultural issues, and you listed some things they value, really, I mean, what are they going to do about those things? Are they going to start legislating conservative ways of life? I, I, that would be very shocking. I don't think many people in Britain, even, even people you say are in this group, would be comfortable with, for example criminalising homosexuality again. They're not going to have it. Um, and if they're not going to have that, what are they going to have? That I would, don't think anybody's talking about that. Yeah. But what I think, the, the, I agree with your analysis as well, I think it was uh, spot on. What the person in Kensington who's a Tory voter has in common with a, what used to be called a working class C1 sort of skilled person in the north of England is that they want more police on the streets, they want criminals locked up for longer, they want liberal judges who uh, say bonkers things in um, uh, in court, uh, they want them got rid of and replaced with uh, people who are uh, more uh, thinking like like they are. And the reason for that is is that um, the uh, former Labour voters in the north may not be uh, conservative with a capital C, but they're much more likely to be victims of crime. They're much more likely to live in uh, horrible estates where there are drug dealers and all sorts of things going on, and where there's a, a deprivation and the place doesn't doesn't look very good. And they feel they're not like um, the uh, the modern victims who you know their whole life is blighted because somebody used a word on Twitter they don't like, but they are real victims of people breaking into their homes or uh, taking um, uh, the hubcaps off their car or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that's just gone on and on and on for years and years. And we haven't had anyone talking tough on crime since probably Edwina Curry was waving those uh, handcuffs at the Tory party conference. But I think it's Blairites were tough on crime, actually. They well, talked they talked about that a lot. They, 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 they talked it, but they didn't do it. I think it's really interesting that you, the, the one example you pick out is law and order. Because since the election, I've been, whenever I've had a chance to talk to particularly one of these new Conservative MPs, I've tried to say, well, you know, what do you think are the topics where you actually everybody has something in common across the majority of, say, Tory constituencies in the new, mm. in that new majority. And 
sometimes you get various different ideas floated, but actually the one thing that people can identify very directly is actually law and order and tackling crime is something which is a pretty universal shared value and interest. I think we're at the very early stage of finding out what those shared topics are. I don't think it's as clear-cut in terms of tradition um, around the family, for example. Um, it's certainly the case that these coalitions, Thatcher's coalition, mm. which took in some very economically and socially, geographically disparate constituencies, yes, you're looking for things in common, but you're also looking for things you're willing, that people are willing to prioritise. So there were things that voters who were in the stockbroker belt after the Big Bang in the 80s um, agreed with voters in some of Thatcher's much more uh, work, working class mm -hmm. uh, constituencies on. But there were other things where they disagreed very strongly, but they simply thought they were less important. Yeah. Helps along, obviously, by a Labour Party that you think might think is a threat to national security, as, you know, as you saw in the 80s with the Labour's approach to arms mm. poster. Stuff like that helps to unite people and helps them to focus their minds on what they, they prioritise. But actually finding those is, is quite tricky to identify. Law and order, I think, is definitely one, be it from questions concerns about gang crime in London, or county lines issues, or low-level, you know, repeated antisocial behaviour that ruins people's lives. But the other topics, I think uh, they're yet to be properly pinned down. I would feel quite nervous were I, somewhat, were I in, um, a consultancy that's dependent on a very high international aid budget, for example. Mm -hmm. I think that's one way you could probably find a decent amount of crossover. Um, but a lot of these other topics, I, I think, are yet to be... Well, also for. maybe uh, freedom of speech, which would be expressed differently by, by different people. But as a, as a candidate in, in the middle of England uh, talking to people, why would you vote for the Brexit party? One of the things that a lot of people mentioned is they didn't feel free to say what they really think any longer. A, because the idea is uh, going to be uh, chucked back at them straight away, but also because they might not choose the right, the right words or the right language. And that's something I think that uh, a very clever government and an able government can help people to feel more relaxed about being able to have a discussion like, like we're having, mm -hmm. where you can say what, what, what you really feel. But it's interesting that to me, because I, I, it's not something I feel because I'm in the media, but ordinary people feel they can't go on Facebook, they can't go on Mumsnet, they can't go on anything and say what they really think. They don't want to be overheard in the pub. And the, they are actually the majority of people in the country. They're not a very small minority with very extreme views. We're not, I'm not talking about racism or anything like that. It's, it's about a, just a choice of words. And I think that's something, it's not, a, it's not a big thing, but it's part of the cultural thing because we've been exactly. pushed, we've pushed into cul-de-sac. Right the problem is they've been homeless for so long now because you've had the liberal elites have actually taken over both parties both the Tory party and the Labour party for so long were taken over by a metropolitan elite who basically these were hollow shells that had no home in the in the shires or in the north of England and those people felt dispossessed and Dominic Cummings has realised that and Boris Johnson will go wherever the votes are and so he's very malleable on that he's like the listening bank in the old days he's a listening Tory if you want to know what sort of Tory he is well, well, and that's what's going to happen now and so it is actually very simple it's immigration it is being you know David Goodhart somewheres and anywheres it's about being are you an internationalist or are you a nationalist are you in favour of migration or are you in favour of, of, of are you patriotic or do you well, believe that the nation is Patriotism is, 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 is a, a very strong example. point. I mean, certainly, but, but hard to turn that into a policy. I mean, certainly Labour did poorly, at least partly in the North, because the, the voters there were actually quite patriotic and thought that Corbyn definitely wasn't. 
But, but that's but not, the Labour Party, not really a policy, but perhaps migration The Labour Party lost its like voters it. by being seen to be anti-British. Yes. And the Labour Party is actually no longer a Labour Party. It has ceased to represent the working classes. It is now an urban party. It's a metropolitan elite party dealing with the middle class intelligentsia, the university-educated middle classes who are concerned about identity politics, who are concerned about woke issues, which have no resonance back at home. And that's actually, it's the blue Labour was talking about this, and anyone who was blue Labour was seen to be racist by the very types of people, the Emily Thornbridge of this world, and that turned off this population, who stopped voting as a, as a whole, as a block, they stopped, stopped mm -hmm. voting. Mm -hmm. And you see, it's much easier for the Tory party to go left on economics, because the Tories have always been pragmatic. The Labour Party has always been ideological, and to change an ideology of the, of the left is much more difficult, and that's why the Tories have won, where the Labour Party hasn't. This actually brings the discussion back to my question, in a way. So you gave one answer, which is, I think, right, the police. You can spend more on policing, and you can have tougher kind of law and order and that kind of thing. But a lot of these cultural issues that we're facing don't emanate from law. They are, they are truly just cultural. So, for example, you know, I say something my employer thinks is racist or sexist, and he fires me. Um, he doesn't have to fire me by law, but they do that kind of thing nowadays. And, you don't. and so, you know, a lot of people seek a change in that culture, but the government can't... It's not a direct result of law. So what I'm kind of getting at is I can see that the Tories are benefiting from the kind of reaction that, you know, you're all expressing. But what are they going to actually do about it? And I'm going to make it more specific. I think you're the closest to the party. Um, nanny state regulation. Theresa May loved it. There was loads of it coming out of her government. Mm. Will we see the government roll some of that back, no longer interfering with what people eat and drink and smoke and all that kind of thing? Or will we see a continuation of this? I think it would be hard to continue to be as restrictive as Theresa May's instincts were on, on, on this, partially because she, her instinct was very restrictive on this, partially because her, her style of government, frankly, was to allow advisers not only to advise but to decide, particularly if you look at things like uh, snooping on social media and so on. You, you saw that flow quite often. People would come in and she'd leave a meeting being briefed from a civil servant about something and wholly have taken on board their position, I think, on various topics. Um, I think Boris Johnson's natural in, uh, inclination as an individual is to be more happy-go-lucky about things, but we thought this at the start of his London mayoralty, and who, which mayor banned drinking on the tube, for example, um, a ban breached by Diane Abbott, mm -hmm. to, to the non-scandal outrage of basically, basically anybody. Um, he did that, despite being, if not a libertarian, then perhaps a libertine. Then you know, he, 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 he has this attitude that people should or, or really should leave, leave us alone and don't, most people just want to not be bothered by, by officialdom and by petty snoopers and so on. But that's, that's different to whether you believe, whether he and those around him believe that the interests of voters are more deeply rooted in sense of security than in freedom. And I think part of the question is whether, that's, whether that is seen to be the choice. If it is seen to be the choice, I think for the kind of so-called pragmatic reasons that we were talking about earlier, I think you will probably lean on some things closer to the kind of security side of things than I, as a libertarian, would, would necessarily like to see. The alternative is if you could change the debate about it, rather than being a security and freedom choice, if you look into some of the themes that I think do appeal to a lot of these new, not Tory voters, but voters who've lent their vote to the Tories on sufferance in a lot of cases, which is actually fairness, I think, is a, a hugely un, is an underpinning theme. There's a very deep-seated sense of fairness and unfairness, whether it's the idea that 
some people can say what they like and ruin people's lives based on their opinions, but I can't say what I think, really, unless I choose the wrong form of, phrase, form of words. Whether it's the idea that actually I can work all hours God sends and earn the same amount of money or less than somebody who doesn't. Um, whether it's the idea that a criminal will, have, will, be, will be viewed as a victim of society, but the victims of a criminal won't, won't necessarily be so. That, I think, if you get into that kind of topic, then you start to question whether it seems fair for the state to spend its time bossing people who are not causing any trouble whatsoever around in terms of how much sugar's in their can of Coke, compared to whether the state should spend its time dealing with actual do, do, do we really worry about that? Because it's, it's similar to what you said before. It's not a law. It's not, you know, they're not rationing sugar. It's not like the 1940s uh, well, and 50s. It was a tax. Yes, yeah, I mean, they, they were genuinely... Reformulation. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the government, governments will always tax anything that, that they can get... <laughs> and, uh, can, they can get uh, but it's, money it's funny on. that that's the first time anyone's really mentioned tax. I mean, tax, which used to be a huge priority in terms of lower tax and so on, and obviously there are still spending constraints, but I mean, is that is that no longer something that is at the top of anyone's agenda? As long as the levels, the main levels of income tax are sort of twenty percent. I know there's a, a, a higher levels, but if there's twenty percent and forty percent, I think everybody agreed around about thirty years ago that those are sort of the right levels for income tax, and that all the other taxes, are in the end, come down to whether you choose to. Uh, buy the product or not, as long as there isn't tax on food. Uh, the one that um, uh, they keep talking about on, on the left is the, uh, what do they call it, period poverty, where there's a, mm. uh, where mm. there's a tax on, uh, uh, on sanitary protection. Uh, but if you, if you stay off uh, products that are thought to be essential, uh, then everything else. Look at in Scotland, the SNP have tacked, well, they've put a minimum price, which is a slightly different thing, mm. uh, on alcohol, and they're claiming a great victory because it's something like 3.5% lower consumption of alcohol. Well, there's uh, some disputation around the, the Well, and also, that apparently that always happens in the first year. They did something like this in Mexico with mm. sugar, and it went, it went down for about a year, and then it went through the roof uh, mm. again because they have the highest sugar consumption. In the world. And it comes back to this question with measures, are these fair? Because if what's happening is the people who are cutting down, the people who have a very limited amount of spare spending cash, no problem with alcohol mm. and their health whatsoever, but actually are just being priced out of the, one of the few luxuries and bits of enjoyment in their lives, and you're not actually helping the people who have real alcohol problems because they're addicts and the change in price just makes them poorer rather than healthier, then th I think that you get into that kind of debate, it changes but, but the complexion. But get lost in these countries. I mean, the question I, I'm trying to get at, and I don't know the answer, is if you think that this government's all about expressing a certain cultural attitude, and that's, a, that's kind of how they got in, and I agree with you, what are they going to do? And that's quite police, yes, immigration. Well, people are asking for a return to common sense, really, at the end of the day, you yeah? And there's a very interesting survey that was put out where they asked Remainers and Leavers, for example, what their favourite brands were. And if you voted Leave, you tended to say things like Hovis, Bisto, um, Marmite. If you voted Remain, it was Uber, it was iMac, it was your iPad. This is the huge divide that's happened now. And people have to realise the economic argument is no longer the central issue. Every 40 years you have this... The, the economic argument was the argument of Thatcherism. The, Johnson is closer to Hessel time, but actually it's Disraeli should be looking forward. It's this one nation idea. And really what people want is a return to common sense in terms of not having a policeman suspended for saying to the corruption unit, you have to be whiter than white, for example. Just common sense on all these sorts of subjects. Mm. And what you're going to see, I think, this is the decade for Johnson to do for the 2020s what Thatcher did for the 80s. 
And Johnsonianism, I think, with Cummings, is going to really be an attempt. We've, they've won the culture battle by winning this election. The cultural war is going to be tackling the long march through institutions and to actually address things like the BBC, address things like the bias in universities and the Department of Education in the civil service. They've got 10 years now to try to redress that balance because they will have lost the culture war if they are unable to actually attack this liberal elite who have no support in the country but control all the levers of power and all of the ways in which media is consumed. And so that is, I think, is going to, well, I know for a fact it's going to be a key issue that's being pushed for over the next few years is how do we actually get over the final stage of the cultural war, which is to go over the top and get control back. Well, uh, one thing that makes me wonder about is, is how that's going to go down with the younger generation. I mean, that, I, I could see that, that sort of argument maybe playing to some of the, the sort of older, commonsensical type people, but the Tories have a continuing problem with young people, particularly if you look in schools now. If it was, what, 18, 24-year-olds had voted, then it would have been, you know, Labour landslide. All hail Jeremy Corbyn, the dear leader, yes. Exactly. So, it so probably would have been in any election. Well, no, no, uh, particularly uh, bad in this one. So well, the question is... Right. We need to get into, back into the Department of Education, as I said. It's the schools, ah. it's universities, where, you know, universities, it used to be there were two Liberals for every Conservative in a, in a university setting. Right. It's now eight or nine to one, right. right? That's happened in the last 20 years. That needs to be addressed because, you know, the left were very clever in getting into positions mm. of power on committees and in the administration departments of universities. And so there was a hiring bias that took place and it happened over 20 years. And that's why, for example, in my area's history, people are turning away from history because the idea of the great man of history is gone. You can't study military history. It's got to be you know, the, you know, the, the role of moccasin making techniques in outer Westphalia, you know? Yeah. Well, it, perhaps it's, um, you know, Tony Blair, and we're back to education, education, education. But we're nearly out of time. So just briefly, I'd like to just ask each of you, you know, what, what should Boris Johnson make his priority? He's got all the time and power in the world. What should he get to first? Jamie? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to say something. I mean, what he should, I don't know what he will. I, I think actually Britain's drastically in need of tax reform. Um, under the last government, they introduced a load of terrible little taxes. And the first thing, you just strip them all out, simplify the regime, it would be economically very valuable. And, and then, then you know, if the economy doesn't go well, you're not getting any of your other stuff done. So uh, I, would, I would say tax reform. Yeah. Rafe, one thing? I was reversing the long march to the institutions. I think he has to get Britain's economy and its place in the world right through this transition through uh, leaving the EU and find our place by the end of this first term. Mm -hmm. And Mark. He has to put the fear of God into his own party that this is a this has been a, is an opportunity and a stay of execution. Mm. Um, it's not George W. Bush on the deck of the aircraft carrier saying mission accomplished. This is a very brief window in which to actually get on with his start start founding things, start setting stuff up, build your own civil society, find your next hundred thousand party members, get on the front foot because the other side aren't going away. Thank you to all my guests and thank you for listening. This has been Counterculture. Do please click below and subscribe if you'd like to see future episodes.